Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. If you're going to do like your, your, your time pie chart, and if I just gave you like three categories, this, and maybe you add to these categories by missing something important. So you've got leadership development, right. you've got your message prep, and then admin. I would include an admin, things like board meetings and whatever. How, what would the percentages look like? Um, you know, I, I tell people I, in my last church, I, I really began to focus more on disciple making. And I focus, I tried to focus 85% of my time. I, and that, that again is a very arbitrary number. So for admin, here's what, here's what we did. Um, I would spend Tuesday mornings for uh, an hour and a half to two and a half hours in uh, discipleship with our staff. And we had like 25 people on staff, including janitors and, and landscape guys. We brought them into this. And we're all looking at some book that I've chosen that we're going to also use as a training thing with our mini church pastors. And also, all um, pastoral staff have to be trainers. The, the, the one thing I've learned about getting trainers to do what I want is start with the paid guys because you control them because uh, otherwise they're going to go off and do something that you didn't want them to do, you know, read some book you didn't want uh, with their people. And so we, we would, we would aim for an hour and a half, but often we'd go two and a half hours. And then the remainder of the time we, for, we tried to quit at noon, but for sure we quit at one. And um, so the remainder of the time, was given to uh, administrative administrative issues with the staff, and so if we if we'd gone along with discipleship because that was most important, we'd do a stand up meeting. You know, all, everybody but the pastors can leave, and we're just going to stand around in a circle and let's get going real fast here and get through this stuff. Uh, normally, that part of the meeting was we'd put had a big whiteboard, and we we'd be in a conference room, and everybody could put anything they wanted on the board. And then we just work our way through the board, but we would also always try to constrain the time. And then the other administrative thing that I did on a regular basis was a church council meeting, which met once a month. And again, we would try for about a three hour meeting, but you know, sometimes those things get out of hand and we would let them. So we kind of compressed that kind of administration. We did um, a, a quarterly uh, performance review. We, we started out with quarterlies, then we went to uh, twice a year, and the staff liked performance reviews, so we went back to, to quarterly. I've actually written a book called How to Hire, How to Fire, and How to Manage in Between that gets into I've, the de- detail of that. Have I've read, read it. I read, yeah, I have. It's great. You liked great it. resource. Yeah, I did. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, then, um, so you know, we got, we did the performance review stuff and then we would uh, also uh, every six months kind of uh, reanalyze and refocus the budget. You know, we'd go through pretty long budget process every year, but then 
uh, six months later, we're going to take it apart and see how we're doing and go from there. Okay. That's helpful. And then what percentage was message prep? Um, message prep. I, I would try to uh, keep my message prep to about three hours a week. You know, I know. Guys I, I have to, I have to ask, how did you do that? That's, I know you've got, you're, you have an unusual mind. You're able to see like outlines quickly and you get a gr- grammatical gifting, but how'd you do that? Well, actually, I wish I could see outlines better. When I'm, when I'm constrained, I'm doing okay. I, you know, I'm doing this coaching deal and I'm getting ready to go into another segment and we're going to talk about um, doing church in a post-Christian era. And I've gathered all this data and I've got a, a 10 page outline with, with all these sub points and I'm trying to arrange it because I really got to just get about 10 to 13 sessions, but to, to, to cram all that into, you know, whatever is really hard for me, but when it's circumscribed and because I was a chapter by chapter, like you're going through acts and, and sometimes, you know, I, and, and here was my approach. Uh, here's my approach. When I was younger, I didn't get on my knees so much when I was older, but I'd, I'd get on my, on my knees with a yellow pad and a Bible. And I'd read the chapter that uh, over and over and I'd pray in between and I'd read it some more, and sometimes I'd read it seven or eight times, and read it thoughtfully, and I'd scribble notes. And usually, by the time I was through it, I'd be going, well, I can only do seven verses this week, because there's too much in this chapter. Or I can do the whole chapter. But an outline would kind of fall out of those notes. And so I'm letting the scripture drive me, I'm trying to let the Holy Spirit guide me, and then I'm just picking up the pieces and and moving with it. And then the next thing that I would be looking for is a story that I can start off with. I want to I want a parable, and I want it to come from the life of the church. And you know, part of what we're doing in in our discipleship process with the staff is you know just asking you know how's this working, and uh, and you you hear a couple cool war stories. And so I'm going to start with one of those on the weekend. But sometimes, you know, we were, I would preach four, sometimes actually five times on a, on a weekend when I was preaching. And um, I'll tell a story on Friday night. And then after church, somebody tells me a better story. And so Saturday night, I'm telling a different story. And I've even had it happen where I told like three or four stories in a weekend. And my, my wife would, you know, dutifully sit in all these services and she's going, the only times I wasn't bored by Sunday morning were when you had new stories and the message changed so much. But the, but the, but the, but the, the core of the message was always what's already in the scripture. And if you go topical, you have to invent the, the core of the message, which causes, it takes a lot of time. And yeah. so I was always trying to, um, you know, but I, that wasn't, I wasn't looking for time efficiency that's not what got me into this. What got me into this was Chuck Smith years ago saying, Jesus told Peter, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. And he also told Peter that I'll build my church. So I realized I don't have to run around trying to preach sermons to build the church. I just got to feed the sheep and, and, and healthy sheep beget sheep and just made my job a lot easier and a lot more efficient, actually. Yeah, it takes a lot of pressure off. Yeah, we, we recently shifted from topical to, you know, 
just going through books for your Colossians this summer. And you know, it's interesting how your your heroes shape your preaching style. So, you know, Rick Warren was our sponsoring church pastor when John Wooster and I planted churches in California. And then we drank some of the Willow Kool-Aid along the way. And so we went topical. I've done mainly topical, but I've, I mean, I've done books off and on for the last 20 years. But because of Simple Church, all of our evangelistic fruit is coming from the Simple Churches, not the weekends, although we've had some. And we're in such a post-Christian city, it's getting harder and harder to get your friends to just show up for a weekend event. I mean, people from other parts of the country show up with the Bible. They they will still do some of that. Mm-hmm. But my neighbors, they say, hey, I love you, but I'm never going to go to your church, even though it's good. It's not my thing. And so like, we got to feed the simple church leaders who are taking the church to the people. Yeah. And it has taken a lot of pressure off. I mean, I've, I find my message prep, and I'm kind of a 15-hour-a-week guy. I wish I was uh-huh. like you, Ralph. I could do three. I'm pretty slow. And I'm also a nerd. I just, once I get learning, I just can't stop. I go, I'll chase rabbits all over the place, which is probably a waste of time, but I love it. <laughs> you know, in preparing for this coaching series, I have bought, and I, I do this like, or we're just now finishing up a thing on microchurch. And currently I'm working on the 12th session. And I, I can't, I want to announce to the world that we're starting the new thing on, on post-Christian era, but I, I can't put an end date on this one because I so much feed off the people that I'm with. But in preparing for the uh, doing church in a post-Christian era, I, I bought 26 books and, I, and, I'm, and I'm scan reading them because once I get into the thing, I'm going to deep read them. And so, so it's like you, I'm a learning nerd. And then with thrift books and, and Amazon used books, I just can't stop myself. And, and then, you know, I'll be reading three or four books at a time and it's crazy. Uh, yeah, I know. It's me too. So you probably were, you were always reading a lot, but then you kind of almost like uh, the Parkinson's law, you force yourself to get the message done in a certain number of hours yes. and trust yes. that would be good enough. How did, do you ever like wrestle with, this performance thing, like I, I, I'm an Enneagram three, so I'm too sub- self-conscious about how well I'm doing. Yeah. And my, I think part of the, my message prep conundrum is I got to feel really prepared because yeah. I'm worried I'm not going to do a good job. How did you get, how do you kind of work through that in your own psyche? Well, well I have uh, two things. One, one is I know the Bible really well. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in the largest church in Oregon, and we used what was basically converted navigator materials in our Sunday school. So when I was six years old, I was told by my father that I would do those Sunday school books. They were called quarterlies. And so you read the Bible and you fill in the blanks in in a little book, very much an old navigator study. And so for uh, 12 years, from first grade through 12th grade, that was the format that we ran our Sunday school on. I'm the only kid in, by the time I was in high school, there were like 120 kids in our high school Sunday school thing. I'm the only kid that I'm aware of who, who did those books at all, let alone for 12 years, including my brother and sister who never had to do them. But I don't know if it was, I mean, it had to be a God thing, but I don't know what my dad was thinking that, that he forced his oldest child to do this. And, and, and I like doing it. 
So when I went to Bible college, in my first semester, uh, we're coming up on on midterms, and, and I'm ready to to fail the midterms. And what what had happened was I knew the Bible so well that I didn't have to study for any of the Bible classes. But then I wasn't studying for anything else. And we come up on midterms, and the night before, it's like, you know, I, I pulled two all-nighters. I, I just, I got to do this or I'm going to die. And um, so I, I basically have this, you know, I have a basic Bible knowledge that ha- has grown over the years as I, you know, I studied the commentaries and I'm still doing it. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not even a pastor of a b- big church anymore. And so I'm, I'm reading right now um, uh, commentaries on the Aramaic scriptures because the the locus of the church moved from Jerusalem to Syria because of Antioch very quickly. And those churches, some of them still exist 2000 years later. And so I'm kind of getting into their history and they're working with Aramaic words because, you know, the apostles all spoke Aramaic. They may have written in Greek, but they spoke Aramaic. And so, you know, I'm still in it. So I, I, I come to Sunday morning or to my study time going, I already know this stuff. So I don't really have to, other than to refine it, look up a word here and there, I already know what I'm talking about. And then I had a, a an experience. I was on an airplane going someplace to teach the kind of stuff I teach to pastors how to do, you know, what we do. And I was freaking out. And it used to be that when I would go to these places, I, I always and this was really kind of dumb, but I had a conscience that I need to prepare fresh material for everybody. In fact, in my, in my preaching, I would use a Bible. And then once it got really marked up, I'd put it on a shelf and go buy a new Bible. So the next time I teach acts, I'm working from a fresh Bible. that doesn't have notes in it. So I'm, I'm forced to stay fresh. So I'd try to prepare new outlines about leadership stuff. And it took years before I read something about content stacking. And I realized I can teach the same outline in different cities, but I'm on the other way to someplace across the country on this plane. And I'm freaking out because I, I really don't have, I, I haven't really completed this new set of notes. And then I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, well, what if you were just in a room full of these people and they started asking you questions, wouldn't you know what to tell them? And it's like, oh my gosh, that is so freeing, because I, if if I'm standing in front of the congregation on Sunday morning, and we're in Acts chapter twelve, and they start asking me questions about Acts twelve, I can I, I know what to talk about, and so that kind of released me from a lot of this burden of over prep. In your message prep, you would try to anticipate the questions they're going to be asking as you're going through the text and answer those. Is that no, no. no I, okay. I, all I would do is what what is the tech what is the spirit trying to say to me through this? Because now I gotta go repeat that to these people. And so that pretty much simplified it. That's good. Hey Ralph, you mentioned your navigator background. Yeah. And is this could be a it'd be helpful to have you critique our training model because our multiply acronym, it would look like a navigator curriculum if you could see the whole thing. Like we even use some navigator tools like the wheel and for prayer, we don't use ACTS, we use CHT, but, you know, very similar concepts. We use the bridge illustration for teaching people how to share the gospel, et cetera. And our training is kind of made up of that 
that kind of you know, modular uh, build your build out your toolkit kind of training. And yeah, what I hear you've done over the years, every time we've talked, you do books or your your curriculum was basically the Bible from the weekends, which led to the message driven nature of your many churches. Mm-hmm. And then you would read books with staff and with church planners and the leaders you're you're developing and your and your many church leaders. Uh, how would you critique our model? Um, after after I've been I left the last pastorate in November 2017. So effectively for 2018, 19, 20, and 21, I've not been a pastor. So now I'm in a position where I'm capable of looking back and seeing the holes in our model. And you just identified one. When we started out, we started out doing what you're doing. And then we were doing what you're doing and then doing the reading the books together in concert. And, you know, we at one point were having like 180 books. I was having to buy every quarter for guys. So we had a lot of people reading the same books, but one of the holes in in our model is new guys should have gone through the training that we did way back uh, where you're using those navigator type tools. And, um, you know, I, I can, I can identify, uh, the other major failure is the guys that where we planted churches outside the church. We didn't build a, a, a network. And, you know, early on, the denomination wouldn't let us. If we started a church in Colorado, they owned it, and we did start a couple. And so I wasn't allowed that contact, that ongoing relationship. And I'm an Enneagram 8, so I have no problem saying, get out of my face, get out of my way. But when I was young, I did. I was intimidated. And as I got older and I got to a point where I could have just said, we're going to do what we're doing because we're doing it. I didn't do that. And and so we never, ever developed an effective ongoing network. So this training issue that we're talking about is is right now for you. It's in-house. But you also got, what, 40-some churches that you started that are in other places the mistake that I made was, and of course now with Zoom, it would be a hundred times easier. I just didn't have a, you know, like a quarterly get together or, or something or an annual get together. We just didn't do those things. And uh, I so regret that. But the other big regret that I have is that we weren't a little bit more structured in our preparation of leaders to, to do this thing. And here's where the weakness shows up. As much as I've got them reading history and reading leadership and, and, and reading things about the Bible, what I they don't really understand, other than it comes across the pulpit, but they other than that, they didn't really understand the whys of why we need to make disciples and why we need to multiply churches. That came across the pulpit very well, but to have a few diagrams um, you know, Rick Warren's concentric circles to, to do some of those things would really help, I think, give people uh, graphics and metaphors that we never, uh, you know, we abandoned that. And uh, that was a mistake for us. Uh, okay. So hybrid would be best. We keep them in good, good books, discussing good books, but then keep our, keep our little, our toolkit growing as we're, you know, helping develop these guys. Here, just to be clear, a lot of our church planners, this is back to the network question, 
they're parachute guys. They came in town. They found out I'm the old guy that planted a church back in 1985, and I'm still I'm still alive to talk about it. And so, and then we've had more recently. We've had a couple of guys who were internal go out, and you know, one of the reasons we went to Simple Church is because of your your counsel, because we want to grow, raise our own up. The we've been pretty fortunate. Most of our parachute guys have done well. Uh, COVID did take out four of them, which is sad to see. But uh, part of it's to this, they're not, the, the non-Indigenous leaders who parachute, in, especially south of the Mason-Dixon line, really struggle. Wives get lonely and all that. So we, we really want to raise up our, our own. So I guess I have two questions. One is for the parachute guys, you know, they've got guys that are working with Stadia and ARC and some exponential stuff and churches. And, you know, I, I used to coach these guys a lot, but there's so many resources out there now. Many of them have coaches assigned to them. So for the parachute guys, I've been asking, what can I do? Like, what's the highest value I can bring to them? You know, one thing is encouragement. We did a barbecue for all of them a couple weeks ago. And they all have my phone number. I say, hey, whenever you get into a problem, my favorite kind of training is reactive. Just give me a call. Before you get into much trouble, just give me a call. And they do take advantage of that. Is there anything else I could be doing proactively for the, the parachute guys? And then I have a question for the internal guys we're trying to raise up. When you first begin to... Uh, raise a question and you're talking my my first response was throw a barbecue so i think that's a really good thing because i think what they need uh they need relationship with you mm-hmm. that they need relationship with each other those those, those are more important there's i mean what, one of the things that i'm teaching guys to do who are making disciples with non-believers is um if you're talking and a question occurs that you, you can't easily answer, or maybe you just take advantage of the fact that they ask a question, then turn it back on them and go, you know what, Let, let's you and I go look that up on Wikipedia this week, because Wikipedia is amazingly accurate in terms of Bible stuff. And so let, let's let's look it up on Wikipedia, and then we'll talk about it next week. And then when, I, when we're going to talk about it, what I'm the discipler I'm going to do is go, so what do you think? What, you know, what, what did you find this week? Because all these tools are there. They can find it on their own. And Stadia is wonderful. There's so many groups that are doing incredible things. They don't need that so much from you, especially if they parachuted in. Your, gut, your internal guys need that on the way out the door. But you know they need it the whole duration of their in your church. But the other guys, they, they need love. And, and they, need, yeah. they need a hub. They need a central right. figure who cares about them. But the second thing besides doing a barbecue, which you know you guys can do in the summer would be, uh, I, I would do like a, a I call them zoominars or zoom casts. Mm-hmm. I, I would just um, get everybody together for a wide open zoom call and, you know, move with the movers. Not everybody will, will show up and ask everybody on there to, um, stay open mic don't let anybody mute their mic because in normal conversation we interrupt each other right. and and that's why everybody mutes so there won't be interruptions but you you would rather have the interruptions and and so where you can't have a barbecue in you know january you could have a zoom call in january and and just touch lives because i think that's what they need more than anything else yeah yeah that's what i keep hearing is they just you know I think the advantage of being older is 
they it's not fathering. They just want encouragement from mm-hmm. somebody who they know has most likely more scars than they do. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and in my case, has made more mistakes than they ever will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so something about, you know, talking to somebody who's been there that, okay, if he can do it, I can't too. You know, those are, I, I think I need to make sure I don't minimize the impact of that. Would you try to meet quarterly or twice a year? Well, I, I'd prefer to meet quarterly, but uh, at least I'd meet twice a year. You know, they may not go for it quarterly. You know, maybe put it to them and see what you know, what they say. But okay. also, I, I would put it to them. Uh, it, you know, my time is limited. And my time is very valuable to my wife and to me. And so I want to do this with you. But I need to know that this is valuable. And so if, you, if we're going to do this, you know, I kind of have a little powwow and I, and I, and I, and I put it to them. I, I want you guys to tell me that you're going to, you know, you could do this with a Zoom meeting next week. Uh, I want you to tell me that you're going to put these dates in your calendar. I'm going to send you uh, Zoom links. If we agree to do it every six months, uh, then we'll do a barbecue in the summer and a, and a call in January. If we agree to do it every three months, then, then I'm going to send the Zoom links this afternoon. And I want you to promise me that it goes in your calendar and has priority over everything else. And then, you know, negotiate a day that works for most of the people. And because one of the things that really frustrates me is when I, I, I mean, I got guys that are paying um, a lot of money to, to be in a coaching group with me. And some little thing will come up and they ditch the coaching group. And, and it's like, you wasted your money. You know, you got the material, the videos are good. You got all that, but you, you know, we do this two times a month and and you're paying a lot of money for it. Why would you not be there? And so I I think as people uh, subscribe or enroll in the future, I'm going to put the question to them. I I, I want this on your calendar and I want to know that this is priority. Uh, partly just to protect them from wasting their money. Well, Ralph, thanks for your time. Well, thank you. uh, Just want to say again, Ralph, you've had such a huge impact on my life. I mean, it's, I I don't think I can express the impact you've had on me personally and on our church. I've looked for so long for heroes that are more about multiplication than addition. And they're, there's, there's out there, but you're, uh, you're at the top of the list. And so Uh thank you for your investment in me over and over again. I'm, I'm very, very grateful. Well, thank you. Thanks again for taking time to be with me. God bless. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.